If you missed what happened two weeks ago at Suck and Slam, we're going to hear from the former MFFW champion here tonight. Let's take it away and hear from Balagna Hard Times. admit you got one over on the Bologna you proved that you belong here in this ring with me but I'm here to tell you that it's still real to me damn it I look at this list of matches and I see heart determination and technical prowess. It's not some shit. And I resent that. In two weeks, at Slurp and Suck and Slam, I'm gonna show you exactly what it means to try Bologna Ride. of the wrestling arc and Scott still has not told me to go fuck myself. I can't fucking believe it. Uh, there will be no fucking of yourself until we get to the <laughs> MMA series. Oh, yeah. No, we're not going to get to an MMA series. I I don't have to show you on MMA mm-hmm. just because uh, MMA requires no shilling. Yeah. It's uh, it's short. It's not as cool as wrestling. It doesn't have the the cool personalities. And somebody's going to be mad about it. Yeah. Also, I don't like that it is an actual emphasis on, like, the most efficient way to beat someone up. Because for me, the respect for the sport is not as interesting as the spectacle. I am aware. That's right. I am aware the submission hold, holds hurt, but they just look like complicated hugs on the ground. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's that's really all that it is, right? Yeah. Like you've got complicated hugs on the ground or scripted hugs on the ground with narrative stakes. Yeah, exactly. Big difference. Underwear nonetheless, though, yes. and floppy horns just dangling all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Dick jokes. That's a good way to start out chapter two yeah. of the wrestling arc. Welcome back to King of the Shill. We are on the second chapter of the wrestling arc. If you haven't figured that out already by me saying it three times before this, and we are going to be talking about. I was going to say you guessed it, but I don't think you even. Guessed no, it. I have no we're, idea. <laughs> I can't even begin um, to guess. We're actually going to be talking about the wrestling today, Scott. Oh, OK. 
how so how how different than usual you mean like the technical aspects the physical aspects not necessarily the technical or the physical aspect. well yes so i'm going to contradict myself immediately yes but that's only a small part of it okay um really what we're looking at is specifically what is happening inside the ring right okay we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit briefly about the matches that we watch in terms of like storylines that's happening and creative and narrative stakes that are involved. But ultimately what I'm really getting at here is I really want to show you that wrestling, even when you're not invested in the actual storyline or don't know anything about what's coming or what's happening within the scope of a single match. And we kind of touched on this with chapter one, when we discussed the moment, Mm -hmm. as I called it, Within a single match, you can tell a story. You don't need, you know, weeks of promos. You don't need Scott Hall and Kevin Nash showing up on your show to preempt a hostile takeover for eight weeks before you even see them wrestle inside of a ring. Sometimes you just need two guys that really want to fucking win to go in there and tell you exactly how much they want to win by the way that they show it with their performance. Okay. I, I, I can, so, I can dig it. So just to recap last week, real quick, for those of you that might be joining us just for the first time, King of the Shill is a conversational podcast where Scott and I try to shill each other on things that each of us are into, but the other person might not really have all that much familiarity with. Yep. Or in the case of wrestling for Scott, really never found a reason to get into it. Yeah. As much as, as aware as you were of it. Right. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's fair to say. I I don't have a problem with wrestling. That is probably the most apt descriptor of me. I don't have a problem with it. So what I wanted to do with this multi-chapter, multi-part show for Scott in almost the same way that he presented the anime arc is there are specific reasons and specific things about wrestling that I love it for, right? And I really wanted to take you kind of through my personal journey with it as it related to my life. So that's why we really started on the creation and formation of the NWO and Stone Cold Steve Austin's rise to superstardom, both happening in the 90s. And we really went over this sort of here's what you can do with a character within the scope of professional wrestling from a narrative perspective And here's how it ties into the match to create this one singular package. Mm -hmm. And there are these moments in wrestling that really capture that at at, at a a huge, just completely all-encompassing level. And so we're moving into, uh, like I said, the in-ring performances now. But you even had some things to say last time we talked about this with some of the performances that we watched between the wrestlers in WCW and Stone Cold Steve Austin, Bret Hart, and Shawn Michaels. So what were some of the things that really stuck out to you about their performances that you remember from the matches that we watched before? So the in-ring performances, the stuff that is most memorable, I'll start with Steve Austin specifically. Steve Austin, I, I said it before we even watched the footage that I knew that he was kind of more of a savage wrestler. He didn't have a kind of a high art technique. He wasn't pushing the envelope of style. 
He was just a big muscly dude that was really mad and he would like punch and kick you a lot and kind of <laughs> sl- slam you into the ground real hard and like yeah. maybe choke you out a little bit. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of his thing. Sometimes but, with television cable wires. <laughs> exactly. And part of his like you can you can see his dedication not in like so I'll, one of my favorite wrestlers is Rey Mysterio, right? Because I go ape shit for Lucha stuff. But Rey Mysterio, you can tell that he's passionate about his wrestling when he does like the perfect hurricane. Is it Hurricane Rana? Is that how you say that? Hurricane Rana. Yeah, Hurricane Rana, right? When he does that, it's like, okay, he had to practice that shit for hours, right? Yeah. Like for, <laughs> just yeah. just for this specific fight, even I don't mean to learn how to do it. I mean, in yeah. this choreograph, he had to practice it for hours. Steve Austin is like a mankind, like a Mick Foley type character where he puts his body on the line in the ring in a way more tangible. I hate overusing this word visceral way. He mm-hmm. lets himself get hurt and he hurts people right like yeah, right. he is he's like a cannonball exactly that's a great analogy for it right so what i remember most is him in that submission hold i mean the bret hart like the the sharpshooter it is not a fake submission hold that would be extremely painful to be in right yeah and right. he's sitting there and taking it for 30 seconds after having his forehead split open after being thrown around in the crowd after being thrown face first into a metal railing after being hit on the head with a bell, after being kicked and punched and all this kind of shit, right? It's like, you're like, it's like the Simpsons joke, stop, stop, he's already dead, right? Like, you yeah. don't want to see the guy get <laughs> yeah. hit anymore. Similarly, when he's doing the fighting, right? It's like, oh my God, dude, calm down. You know what I mean? Like, we're all in agreement <laughs> that this isn't real. You don't have to actually hurt him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You compare that with Bret Hart, who's, like the the storytelling of that fight and him just doing this dastardly shit. Like it's like Superman pulling out a gun and shooting a grandma, right? It's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Right? Right. Well, they do you know you know what his nickname is, right? His like one of his little his little monikers Mm-mm. is the excellence of execution. Oh, okay. Superman would be the excellence of execution with shooting her grandma. Yeah. He would I mean he'd be really good at it. But that's right. It's just it. There is there was so much little storytelling, even in the thing with the NWO, which I know wasn't yeah. really the point. Like as soon as the the angle where Rex Lu, Rex Luger Lex Luger Lex Luger got knocked all the out, time, dude. Yeah, Sting mm-hmm. wrestles very differently. He wrestles at a higher level of tension, right? Like he's yeah. mm-hmm. throwing himself into stuff more. You can see these guys telling a story with their body. I even told you the anecdotal story I know before of uh, uh, Mick Foley as ran- as Mankind wrestling The Undertaker in the Hell in a Cell match and letting himself be thrown from the top of the cell several times. Yeah. It's easy it's, to yeah. see how much he wants to win. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right. So uh, what you're touching on there that I really like is this concept of um, psychology and specifically the term that's used is ring psychology, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ring psychology when it comes to steve austin he uses that term a lot when he talks about his own acumen and and performances but we saw it a lot in in the match against brad hart and then doubly so in the match against Shawn michaels where it's i'm not only trying to 
uh, wrestle my match, but I'm, I'm in this dance with Sean trying to make it workable for him. Right. Too, mm-hmm. Right. While still giving the illusion, at least of Sean getting some offense in, right. And significant offense considering his, his back issues at the yeah. time. So ring psychology is multidimensional and that, 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 that's, that concept is multidimensional. I don't want to dwell on it too long because I'm not a wrestler and it's kind of cringe whenever people start using these terms around the industry. Like, you know, you'll go to local shows sometimes and you'll hear like these fucking, like these marks in the fucking crowd talking about like, oh yeah, they, they better, they, they, they better not linger too much on the false finishes. It's like, you know, that, that, it's fine for when you go and you're chatting on discord while you're playing your waifu games, yeah. but like shut the fuck up while you're at the show. Yeah. Right. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to dwell too long on the concept of ring psychology, but it is an important aspect to what we're going to be uh, watching here tonight. And as a result, I also don't want to dwell too much on the storylines because I think that there's a lot of preempt that you need to do. And that I had to do to bleed you up to that that match at bash of the beach at 96 right right? i couldn't just drop you into the middle of that and say oh look at how the nwo came to be right Mm -hmm. you'd be like oh that's cool because i know the nwo right but like you didn't see them invading you didn't see the the fucking cops come out like with their hands on their guns in the ring right trying to protect the wcw roster that all goes in to building this match, regardless of what happens within the match itself. Things that happen gain additional context, right? Um, sp- spots, as they're called, right? Like different certain high, uh, high important things and moments that happen within the match. Um, like Luger getting eliminated, to use your example, would be considered one of the, one of the spots of the match, right? Okay. So... All of that stuff goes to support what happens in the ring, but the wrestling itself isn't the most important aspect of it here, right? And so that is really where we're going to pick up our watch tonight is we're going to go back and watch some matches that I went and found in different ways throughout, you know, my, my wrestling fandom, but that I ended up loving for the actual art form for what happens in the ring. We're going to be watching some matches that include some wrestlers that are really well known for their ability, for um, their, their, their technical uh, prowess, Mm -hmm. I'll say in the ring, because you mentioned Rey Mysterio. We are watching a Rey Mysterio match tonight. Nice. We are watching Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero at Halloween Havoc 97. Um, This was, a match that I was already well into wrestling at this point in time. And I had stopped watching it for the reasons that I started watching it for exclusively. Right. I wasn't just looking for the Steve Austin's and the larger than life guys. Right. We're also going to look at another match that's similar to that, where we're going to watch Chris Jericho fight a cruiserweight battle Royale at Slamboree 98, where the last person, um, that he fights is for the uh, the cruiserweight title, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we're gonna see some 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 real interesting wrestling here, especially because Chris Jericho is my favorite wrestler of all time. So <laughs> I really wanted to work a, a Jericho yeah. match into this. Yeah. 
And I especially wanted to work in a Jericho match against the opponent that he's going to be fighting, um, which I'm not going to spoil it ahead of uh, ahead of time. But the opponent that he fights is also one of, in my opinion, the greatest wrestlers of all time. So we'll be looking at a Jericho match at Slamboree 1998 for WCW. Okay. But before we get into all of that fun shit, we're going to rewind back to some old WrestleManias. Oh. Okay. We're going to start tonight off with Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12. Oh. For the WWF Championship. Two names we're this, recently familiar with. Two names that we are recently familiar with. You know, because this is a point in my life as I'm growing up watching wrestling. And, you know, I mentioned on the last uh, wrestling episodes that it was kind of hard for me to watch wrestling. I wasn't allowed to watch it at my mom's house. Um, yeah. She didn't want me watching it. Um, and so I had to sneak it in at friends' houses and when, when we would go visit our dad. And so most of my wrestling fandom came from tangential art, right? Like it wasn't just the wrestling that I was consuming. It was the t-shirts that my friends were wearing at school. Uh, okay. It was the video games, right? It was the larger than life personalities that I could carry with me outside of watching it on television. Yeah. Because you're typically not thinking about, wow, I love the way that Bret Hart does a German suplex. I just want to watch him do German suplexes all the time. Nobody thinks like that. Yeah. You like Bret Hart because he's the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. You like his pink sunglasses. You like his cool pink and black gear, right? That's yeah. what you carry with you. And so for so much of my early years as a wrestling fan, I was really just grabbing onto these characters as though they were comic book characters, right? Not really concerned with what they were doing within the bounds of their profession or storylines and just concerned with how fucking cool they were, mm -hmm. how sick they looked, their music, the way that they handled in the video games, right? I fell in love with Rey Mysterio because he had Spider-Man gear in WCW versus NWO the world. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't come to know Rey Mysterio for the incredible luchador that he is until after I had already discovered him that way. So I began to rent videotapes alongside keeping up with the current product whenever I would go to like Hollywood video and Blockbuster and stuff. It was like always the first thing that our dad did whenever we would go over his places, we'd immediately go to Hollywood video mm -hmm. and we'd rent video games and wrestling pay-per-views yeah. and everything. And so it really, it really like led me to discovering the art form of wrestling because I wasn't, I wasn't watched. The current product did not feature Ricky, the dragon steamboat going toe to toe with the macho man, Randy Savage, right? That was before I started wrestling. And that is the second match that we're going to get into in this whole arc. Uh, this mini arc rather mm -hmm. is Macho Man Randy Savage versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat for the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania three. Another match that is just highly regarded for how good it is in the ring. The story that they tell, the moves that they perform, the way that they go about structuring this choreography to create a compelling edge of your seat, technically sound performance of sports combat. 
And I think it really goes underappreciated because of all of the other things that wrestling is. There have been so many matches between guys that really aren't the biggest stars, might not be the champions, that go down as some of the greatest of all time simply because the match was incredible. Mm -hmm. And this is a lot of what we're going to be getting into here, right? As I said, there are storylines that go into these matches, and namely Brett Michael or Brett Michaels, Jesus Christ, yeah, Shawn Michaels, Michaels yes. and Bret Hart. Oh my God, I might have to edit that out. <laughs> mainly Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, right? Yeah. I mean, like we've talked, like we've talked about, these guys fucking hated each other mm -hmm. in real life. They fucking hated each other. They had backstage heat, right? Mm -hmm. It was as much of an on-screen tussle for the title as it was a backstage tussle for the title. It was just the difference between on-screen on combat and kayfabe combat and backstage politicking. Yeah. So you have some of those storylines that are going into this, right? But nobody remembers Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12 because of all of that stuff. That's just... That's just the app, the, the, the side dishes, right? That's the coleslaw and fries, right? Mm -hmm. The real good shit in that match is the fact that it is an hour-long Ironman match where they are going to wrestle for an entire hour and the person with the most pinfalls at the end wins. Wow. That's what we're getting into. Have you ever heard of that no, match? No, I've never heard of that once. That sounds exhausting just hearing about it. It actually, I, I've been thinking about like what match do we want to watch first? Because you said it, man. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a marathon yeah. and it's a marathon of wrestling. And this is one of the most interesting wrestling matches I've ever seen. And it sticks with me to this day because you've got two of the greatest of all time. A lot of people would tell you that Shawn Michaels is the best ever. Mm -hmm. I'm one of them. I think he's the goat. They have to wrestle for an hour. Oh yeah. And not only that, they're the main event of WrestleMania. I was going back and looking at the card. There are only seven matches on this WrestleMania. There's usually like 12 to 15. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So they, they were banking a plurality of the show on the fact that they were going to get this done. Exactly. Well, I mean, and so like, but it, I mean, it's, it's just as simple too, is like it maybe it maybe it's something where like most people don't really think about it or it's like, oh yeah, it's an hour or whatever. Right. But it's like, try wrestling with someone that's a similar size with you for even three minutes without getting winded. You know what I mean? It, yeah. It's, a, it's blown up as they would say. Yeah. It's full body exercise where you're pushing it to the limit, cardio and mm -hmm. muscular. You know what I mean? And to say that yeah. they're just going to beat on each other for an hour. It's like, I, it, it, it goes into the, the limit of human achievement in a way, right? Like exactly. How much can you truly punish yourself? And I think what's so interesting about that is like putting yourself in the shoes of the viewer, right? Mm -hmm. 
even today, Iron Man matches like aren't very common. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and, and I'm not even talking about like in the storyline sense where it's like, well, you don't want to pull the trigger on something sick like that unless it's for a special occasion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There have been other Iron Man matches. But it's not like there's one every other pay-per-view. Yeah. Or even one every year. I don't know the last time that I saw an Iron Man match, but that might be because I'm, I'm not really paying attention to WWE at this point in time. But still. Right, it's 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 not this thing where it's like, oh, we'll just fucking throw him in an Iron Man match. Yeah, that'll yeah. fucking sell tickets, right? Well, it's it's the idea too. Like, it, it kind of spoils it in a way if you overuse it, just like with any like media or genre or whatever. But like, I even me as a person that doesn't even consume wrestling now, it's like in a table, ladders, and chairs match. It's like another one of those you know what i mean like they break that shit out constantly okay sure whatever you know what i mean there's the wwe recently mm-hmm. has made it a habit to turn like cool gimmick matches like that into entire pay-per-view shows where every fucking match on the card is that kind of fucking yeah match. i mean even to the point where like hell in a cell right used to be like when i was a kid if Vince McMahon came out on the mic and said, it's going to be hell in a cell, my fucking mind was on the wall because I was just like, holy fuck, they're going to die. Yeah. So you can imagine, right? Like, I even remember there was a six man hell in a cell at Armageddon one year. And I remember watching it live. It was Steve Austin, The Rock, Kurt Angle, oh The Undertaker. God. Triple H and Rikishi. Oh my God. And a six. Yeah. A six man hell in a cell. Mm-hmm. This fucking match had every spot under the sun up to and including Rikishi getting thrown off this Rikishi. Yeah. Rikishi getting thrown off the cell into a dump truck filled with sawdust. I'm talking. Oh it had fucking everything. Right. Yeah. And so therein kind of lies the problem. You see, imagine if there were five of those on a single car. Yeah. Right. So I digress. You're going through the same thing that the people were going through whenever this match was, you know, whenever it was leading up. It's like they're going to wrestle for an hour. And it's the most pinfalls or submissions at the end wins. They're going to beat the fucking shit out of each other. Yeah. They're no doubt going to be trying to get every pin, every submission. Bret Hart's going to put this motherfucker in the sharpshooter for a week. Yeah. He's going to break him in half. Uh Right. And so that's what's really interesting about this, because so much of that, right, that buildup, that buildup to that WrestleMania began with Sean winning the Royal Rumble in 1996, guaranteeing him a a title shot. He won it at number one, I think. I think he was like the first person to do it. I think. I can't remember. But either way, it was the first time I'd ever seen somebody do that, right? Um, And so he had to have this kind of storyline where it's like, well, you won the rumble and yeah, you were in the title shot. Well, but you don't deserve to beat to face me. You know, it's your standard fucking underdog shit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Face heel wrestling storyline. Right. And what's crazy is like, you're talking about 
four-ish months of buildup because the rumble happens in January and WrestleMania usually happens somewhere between very end of March to the, to mid-April. So you're talking four months of buildup, right? Mm-hmm. And the only thing that matters here is the fact that it culminates to this Iron Man match. So that's really why I wanted to to to, to focus in on this, especially because it just has that abject wrestling quality where yes there are storyline implications but the wrestling is why we're tuning in we're not tuning in to see if we find out who the third man is we're not tuning in to see what happens with iron mike tyson we're tuning in because the two greatest wrestlers of all time are going toe to toe for an hour yeah and i can see what you're putting down here this is definitely something that I think it goes unappreciated in a lot of things like it's the same type of mentality of like I'm I'm going to call upon the Fast and Furious movies here. I didn't see the most recent one, but I saw the last thing I saw, I think was was it Hobbs and Shaw? Is that the name of the characters? They made a spinoff, yeah. mm-hmm. right? That, yeah. I saw that movie and I was like, yeah, it was a good action movie. There was a lot of good action. I can't remember any of it. You know what I yeah, mean? Like right. I can remember the basic idea of the narrative where they like they go to Samoa or whatever and they like team up with their family. Like I can remember the narrative beats, but I can't really remember the action, just that it was good. But that movie wouldn't be the same without that action. Wrestling wouldn't be the same unless these people put up what the game they were talking. If Stone Cold Steve Austin walked into the ring. I think this is part of the reason people don't like John Cena as much. They don't like John Cena at all, I should say, is that John Cena is a guaranteed win. There's no really there's not really a sell involved there at all. There's no part of the story or the story or the wrestling where you think he's going to lose. Stone Cold Steve Austin put up a hell of a fight in the ring against Bret Hart, and it was not immediately obvious how it was going to go. And he. I mean, he took it to the limit. He would not give up. You know what I mean? It's a different story without that. That's exactly it. I mean, you know, the LOL Cena wins meme that was persistent for for forever up until he kind of semi-retired. I mean, he's back now for like uh, for a SummerSlam pop and he'll probably come back for a WrestleMania pop, but he's definitely in part-timer status right now. But you are exactly right, you know, and at some point in this arc, my man, we are going to touch on the Cena thing. But what you're what you're spot on about is that was the problem, right? Like when Cena was in a match, you were just like, I mean, this is going to go a certain way, but he's going to win. Right. I mean, I won't belabor you with all of this, but I could go on for hours and hours and hours about times when John Cena buried something that he shouldn't have. Yeah. Whether that was his call or somebody else's call, who cares? Right. And I like John Cena, like personally, yeah. like I don't, he's not my favorite wrestler. I boo the absolute shit out of him every time I see him, but I like John Cena, but that, that was persistent. Right. Yeah. And it is what it is. Right. It's just the same thing for me as triple H where it's like, yeah, I love triple H, but he buried a lot of people, yeah. <laughs> you know, he destroyed a lot of fucking like really cool shit that was going on. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of the same thing, right? Like you're so right in, in in that it's it's not only that this was a time where the curtain really hadn't been all that pulled back, like it was, but still like people were 
people were still in that transitional phase of building up to the Attitude Era where it blew up in popularity, popularity with Steve Austin, you know? So people were still like really invested in the performances mm -hmm. that they were seeing. Right. And which, which stands out to me so much about um, the collection of matches that we're going to be watching here today is they're all like small dudes. Yeah. Like it's all Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat. Like they look like big dudes, but next to Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior yeah. or not. You know, there's that real famous uh, oh, photo yeah. of the mega. How about Rey Mysterio? God damn. <laughs> exactly, dude. I mean, luchadors in general, right? Yeah. So like Rey Mysterio, Chris Jericho, you know, Chris Jericho is not a luchador, yeah. but he's a smaller guy. Yeah. Right. So that's the one of the things that all of this has in common. It's, you know, touching on the Cena thing. They're not really guys that you would expect to just dominate. Yeah. Right. Or that you had like this preconceived notion in your head that's like oh well yeah of course this person is gonna win yeah. duh you know what i mean well, it's, it that's part of the appeal of wrestling too is like it's not just the big show or kane or the undertaker or um what's the name of the mma fighter that was like a champion for a while brock lesnar brock lesnar the people that are the most muscular and built and weigh the most just come in and win every single time right yeah exactly yeah um and so i i just you know I, I can't I can't say enough good things about the collection that we've got here tonight. I'm excited. It's it's definitely it's definitely um, eclectic. We'll put it that okay. way. <laughs> All right. I, I can deal with eclectic. I made you watch Evangelion. I can deal with eclectic. Yeah, true. That's true. Uh, but yeah, so like uh, the WCW matches that we're going to watch um, to, I think, are an uh, important thing to call out about them is that this was happening when WW, WWF just has never known how to deal with small guys, mm -hmm. right? They've just, they've never known how to deal with them. I mean, when WCW debuted, one of the things that they did to set themselves apart from WWE was they brought all these guys in from Mexico and Japan, right? Like smaller guys that would never have a shot in WWF, WWE proper. And they would put them on at the, like the beginning of the cards, right? And it paid dividends for them because you got a lot of really good angles and made a lot of stars, yeah. right? You made a lot of stars out of the guys like Chris Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, Rey Mysterio, right? Rey Mysterio does not have the career that he has without Eric Bischoff, WCW, giving him that shot on TNT. And then to go a step further, they actually stole that from ECW because ECW was doing it before WCW was. Mm. So you had these alternative companies to the big boy in New York they were giving guys like this a shot because they could see the intrinsic value in them. Yeah. Right. So it really set them apart. And it's one of the reasons that kept me watching WCW for as long as I did when I was a kid was I would tune in to the opening hour of Nitro because I would want to see all of the luchadors and all of the cruiserweights. And then the second the big boys got in, I would flick over to WWF because they had the better heavyweights. Right. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'd go over there and I'd see like, uh, smaller guys and cruiserweights like over there fighting and like wrestling and everything. And that's not to say that the guys like one, two, three kid or, you know, X-Pac as he's known, you know, did poorly. There are those small, you know, isolated cases of smaller guys going the distance in WWF. WWF was not giving them an entire hour of television to wrestle. Yeah. Just to wrestle. Right. You know? So that's another really interesting thing about, the WCW's matches that we're going to be watching to me is like, 
they really sort of made people care about these guys simply by just letting them go on TV and wrestle. And then once they saw, hey, people really like these guys, they started giving them better storylines, bigger, meatier things to sink their teeth into and to show the crowd that, hey, you can get just as good a wrestling out of cruiserweights and luchadors as you can everywhere else, you know? Yeah. So. All right. And it features some of the fucking, listen, say what you want about your different styles of wrestling, right? A lot of people, a lot of people don't like flippy shit. Yeah. And that's fine, right? There is no fucking denying that luchadors have the best ring gear. It's oh, the yeah. best. Absolutely. It, it's the best. Uh, there, Not be, even beyond the masks. There is only one style of wrestler in Tekken. And it's Lucha this Libre. That's right. Yeah. He is a luchador. Yeah. So, so yeah, we are, we're going to crack into it, man. Um, we're going to get started. What do you, oh, how about this? Mm-hmm. Let me give you, let me give you a rundown again of what we're going to be watching. And uh, I'll remind the audience again that these will be accessible in the show notes and on Instagram. Uh, Timestamps and specific wrestling, uh, wrestling matches uh, in general, along with the shows that they exist on. You may stream this on Peacock, or if you can find an illegal way to download it, I'm not going to tell the feds. Savage Steamboat for the Intercontinental title at WrestleMania 3 one-on-one. This is a great little classic. A lot of people refer to this as the wrestling match that got them into wrestling, right? Brett and Sean at WrestleMania 12 for the WWF Championship in an Iron Man match. Again, very, very extensive and exhausting, but a lot of people claim this as the best match that they've ever seen and their favorite match of all time. Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero at Halloween Havoc 1997. A great, great luchador competition with a great little story that's told within the match and incredible ring gear and also the best stage setup ever. WCW is better at 90s excess than anybody else. Okay. And then Malenko. Jericho, I just gave it away at Slamboree 98. Don't worry, I don't know who that is. So where 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 Jericho will have to endure um quite the surprise to see what happens. So um what do you want to watch first, my dude? What interests you the most? I don't know. I kind of want to end on the uh not 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 I want to call it the exhaustion match. Iron Man. I kind of want to end Iron on Man. the Iron Man match. Uh, All right, man. Let's start with. Let's start with Rey Mysterio. Let's start with something all I right. know. So here's how we're going to do this. We're going to watch all of these matches and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about them all because they won't all have things that we can talk about at length. Yeah. Um, but they will all have similar similar aspects to them that are all going to fit the same theme so um we're not going to go watch the match and then come back and dissect it whatever we'll watch all four we'll come back we'll talk about all four and then we'll see where you're at with some professional wrestling my dude sounds good man let's do it hey don't forget check the show notes for all of the timestamps and the matches that we watched here today follow along if you want or don't that's cool too Mysterio trying to fight off the suplex attempt by Guerrero up on the top that's what this cruiserweight title match has been a fight from the opening bell both men 
pushing their abilities to the limit here. This is from the middle. Turn back up. Oh. Oh. One, two, three. Yes. yes. New champion. Wow. New champion. Well, we're back from an eclectic mix of matches. Eclectic. Some eclectic is probably the word for it. Yeah. Uh, I would say more that it was a variety of emotions, body types, and wrestling styles. Yes. Yeah. Um, it. Uh, there was really not much, like I said, of like a rhyme or a reason to this outside of just these are some really good performances that I think you can really enjoy outside of the overarching storylines, no matter how you know big or small they are. Right. Um, and I, you know, we ended with the Iron Man match, mm-hmm. which and ended up being the kind of honestly, I think it was kind of the main. It's the, it's the best match out of the bunch for me. Yeah. Um. But but one thing that I I think that I realized coming through this uh, whole arc is that I'm reminded of this every time I fucking hate Vince McMahon on commentary, dude. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what about what it is about him, but there's something about and like, it sucks because so many of his, of his calls are like very classic, you know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. But he still has this like air of like, he's, he's overselling in a way, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I got that impression in the uh, uh, Iron Man match too, where he was, he was making like, very grandiose assumptions of oh he's got him this time and like things like that it's like uh i don't know dude it's cool like when and when you look at some of the stuff like for instance right like uh the broadcast team for the match that we watched um between Rey mysterio and eddie Mm -hmm. guerrero at halloween havoc yeah like they it was almost like it's like a night and day difference right and i know they're not going for the same thing but i just much prefer the i'm gonna tell you about the actual wrestling yeah than anything else you know well even like i would rather have um uh help me not jr what's the other guy's name the Uh, king jerry jerry uh, lawler jerry lawler i would i would even rather have just bold face trolling like we do a little trolling you know what i mean like uh, (laughs) dude a stiff yeah. breeze would blow over this old man. We could have a geriatrics match with Stu Hart. You know what I mean? Like th- that kind of stuff is at least funny. You know what I mean? When he when he was during the Iron Man match, when they were talking about Stu Hart and uh, Vince McMahon was like, well, there's Stu Hart, patriarch of the Hart family. And somebody said, where's Helen? And yeah. <laughs> Jerry Lawler goes, she went shopping in an antique store and they kept her. Yep. <laughs> 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 See, like that's at least funny you know what I mean? as a, yeah as opposed yeah. to like the like you know what it is vince mcmahon announces wrestling matches like he's an old-time talkies radio host and no one can see what he's talking about oh man that's definitely exactly the vibe that he gives off i don't know if i've ever heard it like summarized that way but that's it yeah it's like um uh uh what's the uh like the decoder ring shit that you would hear. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, drink yeah. your Ovaltine kind of shit. Yeah, 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 that's it from uh, from a Christmas story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, uh, outside of the outside of the commentary blunders and some of the high spots and low spots there, um, I just I, I got to know, like, 
what did you think about this collection of matches? What was what was the oh. overall uh what was the overall takeaway from you compared to the last set that we watched? Uh, it's, it's hard to say. I definitely came away thinking like, yeah, I'm, I'm a story guy. I'm going to get more out of knowing the stakes, but I, what I was actually, I'll say I'm like proud of myself, but it's more that like, I'm starting to understand the things you're explaining to me. Cause even at one point, I think it was the Ray Mysterio match. I can't remember which one it was. I even pointed out to you. Oh, I just saw that he gave the other guy a hand sign with his hand when they were about it, to do something, right? It was uh, Malenko Jericho. Oh, it was Malenko Jericho. Okay, so yeah. in that match, uh, uh, Malenko is about to do, he's picking Jericho up into some type of slam. I can't remember what it is. And they're locking hands, and Jericho like contorts his hand almost into like a catcher's symbol that he would like throw to a pitcher and like yeah. baseball right and yeah. it's like okay like this is what like this is my current status or whatever right so i was noticing more of those things i was noticing also the ring psychology of in the uh iron man match for example okay they're built they, they're building up to a sweet chin music he's tried it five times it hasn't happened yet they're building up to a sharp sharpshooter he's tried three or whatever times and it hasn't happened it's been a damn hour and nobody's hit their special move right i'm picking up yeah. on those things but I think the number one thing that I noticed was uh, that these guys, they're, they're not just telling a story through the technical wrestling itself. It's, it, this is something I didn't really, excuse me, I didn't really think about like when we were talking about the shot calling component of Austin's career. Yeah. It's two guys literally dancing around each other in the ring it's a collaborative yeah. storytelling thing right yeah, that that right. was the big thing i noticed yeah and that's it's it's really hard to get that whenever you're so invested in the tangential aspects of what's going into a match because right. like the iron man match for example like did that have a storyline yes yeah was it as complex as the austin storyline was there as much to it as the Austin storyline leading into WrestleMania where, uh, where he fought uh, HBK, was there as much to the hostile takeover storyline that culminated at Bash at the Beach with the reel of the NWO? Not really. I mean, the, the general aspects of it is just, hey, I'm Shawn Michaels. I want to prove that I'm the best. Hey, I'm Bret Hart. I'm the champion. I am the best and I don't think you can beat me. Right. And that was really it. <laughs> you yeah. know, like there was, I mean, I didn't even really go into a whole lot of detail about the buildup to that. But like I said, the sprint from the Royal Rumble where Sean won that title shot up through WrestleMania is only at a maximum of like four, four months, give mm -hmm. or take. Right. Right. And so you have to be on like, it's kind of starts with the Royal Rumble usually leading up to WrestleMania, but he really only like, I mean, there were the promos and the typical trappings of building the match, but there wasn't any real jiggery pokery that went on went on you know what i mean there yeah. was just basically he had to fight owen to retain the shot at another pay-per-view leading up to it and the condition was you know if if you know if he lost then he wasn't going to get his shot at brett that was pretty much it so you're looking at a very just very common relatable trope for a storyline especially a fight you know i would say that 99 of the mma fights and and the professional boxing fights despite what 
people will tell you have the same exact storyline. I'm the best. No, I am. Okay, let's fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you get into this mode of, well, what's the next level? You know, like what's the next layer of that, of this story beyond two guys are going to fight because they're not going to get in the ring and legitimately try to knock each other out on purpose in the way an MMA fight or a boxing match would. Right. So you've got to tell a story beyond what's outside of the ring there. And I think that that match, especially, but this whole collection of matches in different ways goes to really represent that aspect of the art form, you know? Yeah. Well, another thing that was really apparent in at least two of the other matches, the the ones that stood out to me the most, uh, the Rey Mysterio one was one of my favorites, uh, but also this, this was true. <clears throat> Excuse me. This was true in the Malenko and uh, Jericho fight was that they were wrestling their role in a way. So what I mean by that in the Mysterio Guerrero uh, fight, right? Mysterio and Guerrero are even at the sizes they're at. They're like David and Goliath. Rey Mysterio is a tiny human compared to these people, right? (laughs) Yeah. So he's getting tossed around by Guerrero. He's getting kind of humiliated. Guerrero's tearing his mask. He's manhandling him. He's not like even wrestling him seriously, right? It's like I I described it to you. It's like swatting a fly, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the way that the match flows is that Mysterio doesn't like magically get the power of God in anime and can like now suddenly throw Guerrero around. It's like the power of the phantom. Yeah, it's like. Okay, when he goes for these moves, I'm just going to try and reversal on him, right? Yeah. It's it's not mm-hmm. that he's picking up Guerrero with both hands and throwing him out of the ring or something ridiculous, right? The fact yeah. that he even wins off a reversal off the turnbuckle, right? Where Guerrero yep. tries something and he turns it on him and flips him and pins him, right? It, that's, yep. They're wrestling their roles. It's easy to see the disdain that Guerrero has for the young upstart Mysterio because he's not taking him seriously, right? He's not yep. he's not committing. He's kind of showboating in a way. You can see that Mysterio is in his own way doing whatever it takes to win. He knows that he's outclassed physically, right? So he's going to, they're not tricks, but he's going to play into his opponent's strengths, play off of them, right? Yeah. And you can take that in the Malenko fight, too, where, like, it starts and he's in his Cyclope outfit and he takes it off and he just starts, like, it isn't like he picks him up and slams him. He starts, like, wailing on him. He's kicking him in the turnbuckle and he's, like, punching him, right? It's there In that match, Malenko is the Avenger. He's got Righteous Fury, right? So the way he's wrestling him is not... Oh, you took my girl, whatever. And then they have like a kind of a submission match or, or like doing suplexes or whatever. It's it, I'm, I'm here to hurt you. Exactly. You hurt me. So I'm going to put a hurting on you. Well, that's exactly right. And, you know, I said this to you before, um, but this match, especially, I think, really goes to push like this description that I gave you of wrestling is just fighting games in real life. Yeah. You know, it is an over the top character or personality with, like you said, like a role, a specific style or like gimmick way of of fighting. And it's 
putting the two together to create this magically perfect puzzle that just fits. You right. know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. it's like you said, it's I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to revert. I know I know that I cannot beat you this way. So I'm just going to bait you into these moves and reverse them when I can. And it doesn't always go the way that Mysterio wants it to go. Right. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes like he'll like you said, he'll go up. And Guerrero will look like he's about to power bomb him or something. And Mysterio tries to reverse it into a, a Hurricane Rana. And Guerrero's just like, nope, slam, and just slams yeah. him down. But then you have these other times, right? Where it's just like, you're on the outside. I know that I, my aerial skill, my aerial attacks are my game. I'm going to fucking flip over these ropes and Hurricane Rana you on the outside because you're yep. not going to be expecting it. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And so, this match especially really goes there for me um, because, you know, there's just again, just like every wrestling match, there is a storyline to this. There is a reason that they're fighting at the pay-per-view right. and it is for the cruiserweight title and it is mask versus title. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I think the only thing that you need for this match is, hey, Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero are fighting for the cruiserweight title and it's mask versus title. Yeah. You immediately know there is a stake for each person involved and they're just going to tell you exactly how this is going to go with their performances. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really, I really love that, especially because like, you know, like I said, WCW are the king of nineties excess when it yeah. comes to nitro their their set, their stage setups are incredible. Um, Halloween havoc consistently has my favorite stage setups beyond the scary face that they had last time. Are, uh, in the match that we watched, there's a set with a giant inflatable pumpkin. There's like, you know, it's, it's yeah. just, it's their stage sets are incredible. And even moving into Slamboree, where we saw the Malenko Jericho match, of which I spoiled for you, yeah. <laughs> for you ahead of time. I didn't know who but it was I, in advance, so don't worry about it. Well, I gave you, I gave you a little bit of kind of like uh so jericho is in this place yeah and this is why this is kind of happening right yeah because you know ultimately the wrestling is important here but i i have a a, a personal love for the cyclope moment because it's one of one of the memories that i have of like a genuine organic pop like i remember i loved dean malenko i loved mm-hmm. all of the cruiserweights when i was a kid I loved, you know, Jericho, Hooventude, Psychosis, all of them. Uh, the, and just, I knew that Jericho had been like prodding him and they had yeah. this feud. And so when he takes off the mask, you just have this like realization all at the same time. And I know that there's no way that I can create that for you, but the moment itself needs that context, right? Yeah. But the most important thing for me is the wrestling here because I think they go on to wrestle a great match that tells the story. Oh yeah, for sure. Like it's, uh, it's told through the animosity and the way that Malenko approaches the fight. It's told in the way, like the, at the beginning of the match, like it's, it's a little bit oversold, but I think it did a good job where like they, they do this semi close up of Jericho's face as Malenko takes off the Cyclope mask. And he's got the like the, almost the scream painting face. It's like, oh, shit, <laughs> yeah. it's Dean Malenko. I've been talking shit on this guy's dead dad for three months yeah. or whatever. And right. 
the fight itself, right? It's not as visually pretty as uh, the Mysterio Guerrero fight, or even some parts of the Iron Man fight. It's just mm-hmm. kind of a down, not down and dirty, but just kind of a straightforward kind of. I don't know what to call it. Like a I scrum? mean, they, they wrestle. I yeah, mean, that, and that, right. and that's what it is, right? Like it's it's really this thing of, and one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight it was because, you know, you said this while we were watching it, and it's so true. Is that comparatively with these other guys on the roster, when you're in this position, that, like uh, the Jerichos, the Malenkos, the Juventudes, because it starts out with this cruiserweight battle royal, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to wrestle a completely different style to put yourself over and to make yourself look like a threat to the audience right i mean dean malenko is not seven foot tall kevin nash you know what i mean he's not even six nine scott hall right he's a bulldog you know what i mean he's this he's this he's a smaller stature guy compared to the rest of the crew and he's just kind of this straight up out and out wrestler he's like i'm gonna put you in holds i'm gonna beat you down i'm gonna i'm gonna wrestle you i'm gonna wrestle you into the mat you know, the, the man of a thousand holds. And I, it like there's points in the fight, too, where Jericho is kind of like he's adding insult, insult to injury. He's already over the line. But then he tries putting Malenko into these submission holds like he's known for. And you get this great reversal, right, where Malenko finally puts him in the holds. Right. He's the man of yeah. a thousand holds. So, yep, it's yeah, it's um. It's it's a cool little match, I'll, like albeit not like the most obvious. And it's it's I really wanted to work in some Chris Jericho here. Yeah. And I, I really thought that it was a great opportunity to also work in Dean Malenko. But on top of all that, right, mm-hmm. what I think is really interesting, too, is starting with the battle royal into the match. Right. You have this like sort of. uh underdog story of Cyclope before you yeah. get to the point where there's the reveal, you know, and oh, it's just I, really different. I want to point out, I was legit suspicious of Cyclope since Jericho kind of almost didn't introduce him when he walked in. And then he, yeah. he did like basically jack shit during the fight. And yeah. I was I not, e- not even knowing what the reveal was. I was like, something's up with pumpkin, man. Like he's not, <laughs> he's not really doing anything. So yeah. But yeah, but, no. but the the fight itself is a good uh, uh, duo too because you have the royal the the uh, battle royale the royal rumble whatever you call it where you have all the cruiserweights that are almost entirely luchadors doing high flying maneuvers and like there's a couple goobers in there too but like they're wrestling in this like almost rote way right it mm-hmm. seems like a just kind of a like, oh, OK, yeah, it's the luchadors. It's going to be 30 people jumping in the air and like dump, jump kicking people. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But then Malenko takes the mask off and it's like, boo, 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 boo. You know what I mean? It, it's like a total yeah. tonal shift between the two fights. Yeah, it's almost like, you know. All right, now we're now we're getting to business. Yeah, I'm going to whoop your fucking ass. Yeah. You know, uh, but really, honestly, like <laughs> honorable. Chris Jericho is the funniest motherfucker on the planet. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> He's, I, I can't, I can't handle him. 
I I like anybody that is. I mean, it's it's easy to get it wrong, but I like anybody that has a solid grasp of trolling. If you are a <laughs> piss taker, right, it is very easy to win me over. And the way he introduces, not only he doesn't even just introduce the people, he cuts off the announcer. And he's like, you, you, he's like, you glasses wearing wiry looking little freak or something yeah. like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, then he goes on to insult every single person as they come in. Oh, he's got about a one in 10 shot in winning this. Uh, and he, the guy, the first guy to get eliminated, he calls it too. He's like, oh, that guy yeah. has no shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love I love the part where El Dandy's coming out and he's yeah. like, and here comes the winner of the 1997 Lou Ferrigno lookalike contest. Yeah, El Dandy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, he's um he's great. And we'll be we'll be seeing some more Jericho before the arc okay. is over. But this is really like this was the Jericho I was introduced to. And this yeah. was the Jericho that I just fell in love with as a child. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just like, this guy's got the personality. And um, and so that. That is a key component to who Chris Jericho is for the majority of his career, despite the fact he's got a lot of iterations on it. Yeah. But I really I, I'm glad that you enjoyed the match and, and and you came away with it with pretty much exactly what I was hoping that you would, which is like there is that tonal shift. Right. And even without the concept of or without the knowledge of this long feud and going back and seeing all the things that Jericho put Malenko through and seeing all the promos and getting a real sense for just how much Malenko hates Jericho. You don't need to look beyond the way that he just whoops his monkey ass. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. So apart from WCW. Yes. We rewind the clock a little bit and go back to WrestleMania three. Yeah. We watched the macho man. Macho man, yeah, against the dragon, Ricky Steamboat. Now, as I said before, I didn't find this match until like probably, I want to say like 10 to 11 years after it aired. Yeah. Right. After it actually happened. I wasn't going back and rewinding the clock during the Attitude Era to go watch the old shit. Right. I was just so engaged in DX Stone Cold and the NWO that I didn't really care to go back until I started to, like I said, rent all of these old pay-per-views and start watching them. Mm -hmm. This one always really stuck out to me because this is 1987. This is the heyday of the roided out Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. uh, Hulk Hogan, you know, like big big muscle, big body slams, right? And so you have this match on this card against, and Jesse Ventura even says it, or it actually, it's actually Gorilla even says it, against Macho Man, who is probably the best wrestler in the world at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least in the WWF, against Ricky Steamboat, who is the high-flying, exciting, martial arts-based, you know, babyface, essentially, yeah. here. Mm-hmm. And so what I really found interesting about this match is that it's it's nobody's wrestling like this in WWF at the time, right? Nobody's putting on these matches where it's like we are going to go fast and hard and have high spots and jump off the top to the outside a bunch of times and flying cross body each other yeah. a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it's not a match that you can look at and you can really see that 
you know, uh, or like you can see a bunch of high flying flippy shit like you do in Luchador uh, wrestling, Lucha Libre wrestling. But I think that you can really get a sense uh, of exactly the type of like performers that these two guys are, what they're trying to prove to each other. The macho man hanging on to his legacy, his belt that he's had for a year and a half. And Ricky the Dragon Steamboat coming in with his unorthodox style, trying to get back at the Macho Man for trying to take him out before their match. And there's a really good ebb and flow to it. Macho Man starts out the match pretty much taking it to Steamboat. Steamboat tries to get a little bit of offense in, but the Macho Man tries to cut him off by breaking his windpipe again. Yeah. And you just really get this kind of uh, tight little example of what the future for the for the industry would hold. So what were your thoughts on on this match specifically? I thought it was interesting because there was like the match itself. I saw a lot of similar through lines to what we had just seen with Dean Malenko and Jericho, but it was put up against the backdrop of a completely different era in time. Like they were talking about the angle of the animal, this big dude with way too much back hair and him, and, him, <laughs> and him like King Kong kidnapping uh, Miss the, Elizabeth, yeah, Miss Macho Elizabeth. Man's girlfriend. <sighs> yeah, the, it's, it, it was like just we, it was weird to the point of being like, there's no way they're being serious about this. Right. It's like eight. It's it's not even 80s cheese it's like 70s cheese it's like what the fuck am i even watching right now it's 80s era wwf yeah but then you get to the match and it is the same kind of thing we saw almost with bret hart and uh stone cold with uh jericho and dean malenko and even a little bit of the endurance match where it's just this constant back and forth there's very little letting up there's some like ring shenanigans and stuff like that, but it is really like in, especially in the early stages of the fight, because there's a, there's a through line where steamboats like he's gassed. He's been beaten really bad. He's struggling, right? This is to prop up his eventual triumph, but uh, there's uh, there's a time where he's going toe to toe with macho man. And like they're one will take the other down. And then it'll immediately get reversal. There'll be like a, a, a kind of a repartee to everything yeah. that's being done. Right. And watching it, I don't have the context to make the comparison, but looking at it, wow, this like you're saying this is kind of like a precursor. This is like where the modern art form takes some of its roots from. I can see it because this isn't just Hulk Hogan is picking up. I don't know some Andre, some, yeah, what Andre, right? And just slamming him, and the the spectacle is, oh, big man, throw big man. It's yeah. <laughs> holy shit, he's on the top rope. Oh my god, he yeah. just slammed Steamboat into the fence. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, his windpipe is in ruins. He can't yeah. breathe. Like all this kind of stuff, right? It's it's in it's in kind of the suffering spectacle is what I'll call it. It's not necessarily just feats of strength. It's the over the top nature of the damage that they're portraying, inflicting upon each other. Like yeah. Macho Man grabs the bell 
to signal back to the injury he inflicted upon Steamboat at the time, right? And then yeah. I think I think it was Animal grabs him or something, and he drops it and clocks himself in the head, right? Yeah. But like mm-hmm. it's like that they're grabbing weapons, like not that there. I'm sure there were weapons before that, but it's like that real gritty kind of combat. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's all like sort of overlaid with the dance. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's got this film over it almost where it's just like you can just see it escalating into what would what the what what uh, wrestling would look like like you said you know what i mean like you can really see where a lot of the malenkos and jerichos get where you know and we'll be segueing into this in just a second but the iron man match right that match does not exist without savage steamboat at wrestlemania 3 it just doesn't Mm. WrestleMania three against the macho man and the dragon for me writes the book on what it means to have that push pull that perfect telling of the story of I'm the best. No, I'm the best. Right. Mm. But it's got that, that touch of a personal angle to it. You know what I mean? That just gives you a little bit more of that edge that keeps you on the edge of your seat because you simultaneously would love to see the macho man win because it's the macho man. But you also would love to see the dragon win because the macho man's he's a little dastardly. Yeah, it's 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 one of those interesting components of hero narratives of like hero versus hero narratives. It it becomes this thing of like, it's not that I dislike the macho man. It's not that I dislike Bret Hart after wrestling uh, Stone Cold. It's just like, wow, you've changed, man, that kind of emotion. Right. Like you're so concerned about holding this title that you'll stoop down to the level of pick your pick your heel, right? Like, oh, Brett, you just wrestled like freaking uh, like Hollywood Hogan, man. You're going to do that. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. And it's satisfying then when the untouched, like, first of all, he's definitely the underdog. He's coming off of an injury and Macho Man is who he is, right? He's the king of the world at that point it's satisfying to watch them kind of take them down a peg to humanize them. Yep. Right? Yep. Yeah. And that's, that's really the focus of this match is just that it's not your out and out face and heel, right? Yeah. It's not, you know, the undertaker versus, you know, Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 25, where it's literally this juxtaposition of the devil versus the angel. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not this contrived, obvious on the nose, face and heel matchup. It is just like you said, you know, the macho man is obviously threatened by the dragon. Look yeah. at the stoops that he goes to look how he stoops so yeah. low to try and to try and get the upper hand on him. But the dragon perseveres, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and uh, it's just a really fun match to watch. Uh, like I said, like with, with the understanding that nobody's really doing anything like this at the time, you can actually hear my favorite part of the match is actually the swell in the crowd. Whenever they start to build these like moments up where they're exchanging things rapidly back and forth and, you know, Macho Man's throwing Dragon against the ropes, and oh, there's a cross body and a roll up, and Macho Man reverses it and he hits him with a double axe handle. Yeah. Oh, and he throws him over the rope, but the dragon skins the cat. You know what I mean? And he comes yeah. back up into the ring. So it's this just this this really like great build and a swell within the crowd that just permeates through the arena. I just really like that match a lot. 
Yeah, it was it was good. It was interesting to see. I, I think the number one takeaway I had from it was that there there was this perspective shift for the company that I think you can see in that match of the future of the product is the it's it's not the word my words are failing me because i want to say it's it's the athleticism but it's not like they weren't athletic before it's the like it's like being a trooper is like the best i can come up with like the future of the product is these guys showing the limits of like human tenacity i guess in a way right 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 yeah there's there's a difference between this idea that I think the way that I would describe it is they really wanted to outwork each other. Yeah. And you could tell. Yeah. You know, like you could tell that there was that agreement between the two of them that it's like, I'm bringing my best. I'm bringing my best. Yeah. I'm going to try to I'm, we're, we're outworking each other. And that's because we could we were even saying during the thing I was referring to, like the to use the terminology working stiff, like, oh, man, that shit's going to like actually hurt. Like, that's yeah. not. He's not like selling anything. He legit got punched in the sternum there and that's going to hurt real bad. Exactly. So, yeah, no, um, it's it's a it's a bit of a different one because it as good as it is. It, it's dated. You know, yeah. it feels mm-hmm. dated and and it's not it's certainly not similar to some of the stuff that we'll be moving into in the future here. But it 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 is it is the originator. It is where all of this comes from. It is the reason that I still love wrestling because right. everything that happens in the modern product is predicated on Savage Steamboat at WrestleMania three, in my opinion. Right. So of course I also have to give recognition to another match that stands as a pillar of the modern product and the modern art form. And that is Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 12 in an Iron Man match for the WWF Championship. This match had a 60-minute time limit. Mm-hmm. And Iron Man rules state that at the end of the time limit, the person with the most points, the most decisions, would win the match. Yes. A count out would count as a decision. A pinfall counts as a decision. A submission counts as a decision. And a disqualification counts as a decision for the person that was impugned against. Right. What did you think of this match? It was a hard sell at first, I'll admit. Um, I mean, we were talking even before it started that, well, first of all, we I was talking about how uh, uh, HPK, uh, the Heartbreak Kid, is uh, a total goober. Uh, I don't like him. <laughs> John Michaels works very hard and I do not doubt that, but there's something about him. I just don't like, uh, but his outfit for that fight was fabulous. God-like. Fabulous. Fucking yes. God-like. It was yes. incredible. Um, I think you even told me that you were like, what is this Jojo motherfucker doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is, it is literally some Jojo's bizarre adventure shit. Yeah. But when the match first starts off, we had already been talking about how, like, I don't know how they're going to wrestle for an hour. Right. Like it is a lot of work. Predictably. They are not 
giving it 110% right out of the gate. They have a long way to go and they both know it. They're putting each other in submission holds because as you pointed out, it becomes obvious that Shawn Michaels is kind of trying to play in Bret Hart's court. He's trying to show him up at his own game. Yep. Right. But something interesting happens by which I mean nothing interesting happens and the fight keeps going and going and Mm -hmm. going. There's turnabout after turnabout. Bret Hart will get a series of holds in where he's targeting Shawn Michaels' chin and neck. Shawn Michaels will reversal and get some good holds or blows in on Bret's left arm. They'll get thrown out of the ring. They'll get hit outside the ring. They'll interrupt the count over and over. It's this kind of quagmire, this back and forth where like what what I I saw really was almost this this mentality of it's not a matter of winning. It's about winning the right way. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they they both blow several opportunities. I mean, clearly it's part of the scripting, but. Yeah. Several opportunities to get a point from a ring out to either go out and interfere or bring the person back in. It's all drawing you in to this ongoing realization that, holy shit, we're going to make it the whole way through this fight without a single point. Yeah. <laughs> These guys are beating on each other, choking each other, putting each other in submission holds, and it doesn't matter. Right. Right. So at first it was, I don't want to say unimpressive. It's not that I don't understand that these holds are painful, but it's not like the immediate high flying action of any of the cruiserweight stuff we had watched. Right. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. Where it became the most interesting was probably at least 20 minutes into the fight. At this time, damage had begun to accumulate. And it became obvious that commentary that had been made by Vince McMahon earlier in the fight was intentional. They had yeah. said kind of offhandedly, the first person to get either the they either said pinfall or the point, whatever, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. They're gonna be the one to take it. And you start to realize, oh. That wasn't just kind of a stupid aside. We're 20 minutes in and no one (laughs) has gotten a point yet. And wow, it looks like Shawn Michaels is in some real pain. He's been thrown out of the ring several times already. He's been put in several holds already. I'm sure his back in real life is killing him. Bret Hart has already gotten a couple things done to him. You're making it to the 40 minute mark and you're like, Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah. The climax of the fight what made I think the whole thing worth it because like I said, we run out of official time basically, right? There's been setups for sharpshooters. There's been setups for, well, actually at at the very end, there was a sharpshooter payoff that just Mm -hmm. didn't get a tap out, which didn't get a Mm -hmm. point. And Bret Hart leaves the, the ring and is walking out of the arena. I maintained my title. Yeah. Nobody won, but I didn't lose. So it's mine. Yep. Right. Right. 
there are, but there were all these setups of like, come on, where's the big moment? There was never a big moment. There was some pops. There was like getting jump, getting uh, tech uh, technically Shawn Michaels threw himself out of the ring in a huge way and like <laughs> yeah. clocked himself off the ground. Right. Yeah. There uh -huh. were big moments, but there wasn't the moment. Right. And the match ends and a part of he's like, what the fuck? Really? Like that sucked. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And Gorilla Monsoon comes into the ring and he says, nope, there has to be a winner. And we finally get that payoff. Shawn Michaels clocks Brett right in the chin with sweet chin music. And then he pins him and we get the finale. Right. It's that yep. it's it's kind of it's the similar ethos to what I was describing in the kind of narrative uh, series we did last time where it's like people don't just want to see the hero air quotes win. They want to see him struggle. It's not just that he beat him at the end. It's that. Are you fucking kidding me? They're just going to let Brett walk out with the tight. Oh, no. Oh, he has to come back. Oh, my God. Sweet chin music. That kind of payoff <laughs> moment, right? Yeah, exactly. Yep. I. I love this match. And there are three main things that I really love about it. Mm. Number one. It's it's never enough. I always I always think about that saying when I think about this match is it's never enough. No matter what these guys are doing to each other within the scope of the wrestling match that they are performing, nothing is ever enough. To the point even where when Gorilla Monsoon announces that this match is going to go in to overtime with sudden death rules. Yeah. The minute that Brett gets back into the ring, he starts beating the shit out of Sean again. And you're yeah. just like, all right, well, he's going to put him back in the sharpshooter. And then that's going to be it. And then, like you said, you get the sweet chin music and then you get the other sweet chin music, which is yeah. the best one. And that goes over the way that it does from the minute you get the sharpshooter locked in and the time runs out to... Sean pinning Brett for the one, two, three in sudden death because throughout this entire match, not a single finisher is used on either wrestler. Sean doesn't land a single sweet chin music on Brett until after the 60 minutes. Right. Brett doesn't put Sean in the sharpshooter until 30 seconds are left on the clock. And it is the only sharpshooter he puts him in. Yeah. The only sweet chin music that occurs before that is when Sean kicks the timekeeper in the face, trying to go for Brett on the outside. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. But yeah, right? and he, he's tried it a couple times and Brett's been just like, no, he kicks his foot or he like uh, hooks himself on the ropes or something like that. It's yep. not even just that he never had an opportunity. It's just it's right. whiffed every time. And so what's really interesting to me about that is that, you know, we are going to see a change as we go further into modern wrestling and the modern industry and what's happening right now in the current product where a lot of old school guys think that finishers aren't protected enough. Yeah. A lot of old school guys think that uh, finishers are used too willy nilly. Right. And even if you look back and think about like the, Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels uh, title match. There is at most two Stone Cold Stunners in that. I think there might only be one, 
if I if I remember correctly. Same thing with Bret Hart against Steve Austin at WrestleMania 13. There is that sharpshooter. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always really liked that that within the scope of this Iron Man match, because for me, it always just landed a lot more effectively when you get to that point where it's almost like a pyramid, right? They're doing everything they know how to do here, right? Yeah. And then they're slowly but surely building to this effectiveness where it's like, I'm not beating you with the suplexes. I'm not beating you with the slams. I'm going to kick you straight in the fucking face. It's time to tune up the band. Well, this is true in everything. And to go back to my old well that I pull from everything fighting games recently in strive, right? This is, this is true for any spectator sport, right? Street fight and street fighter, or we'll just use strive as the example, since it just came out and we've played more of that recently. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. What is more impressive to you? Is it when like I totsugeki you 15 times and then when you're finally in the corner, I pull out the whale, right? The whale super. Yeah. Is that right. more impressive to you than like the Street Fighter 4 one frame link instant death combo type stuff? You know what I mean? Like the right. stuff is impressive when it's. First of all, that it's difficult to do, but second of all, that it's used sparingly. Another another better example is what's more impressive, a Hadouken, something that happens 300 times over the course of a match, right? Mm-hmm. Or right. a ultra combo finish, yeah. right? Yeah. So if you use it all the time, it's not going to have the impact. It's important that the sharpshooter comes out at the end. When Bret Hart, again, something forecasted by the announcers, he tries something funny. He goes to the top rope. Not sorry, not Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels goes to the top rope and he jumps at Bret and he kind of just stops him in midair and sticks his leg in and puts him in the sharpshooter. Right. Yep. Yep. If you put him in a sharpshooter 15 times, been like, wow, that whole that hold kind of sucks. Well, exactly. Right. And it's. It's effectiveness cannot be understated when it gets locked in. It's it's why the crowd goes nuts for that sharpshooter attempt. And that's the one that Sean scrambles out of. And it's the the last time Brett tries to put him in the sharpshooter before he gets it on him at the end. Right. Mm -hmm. And that leads me into another thing about this match that I really love. Is that the more you pay attention to what happens from minute to minute the more you start to see some of what Brett was really going for here. And I think it's fucking brilliant. Brett Hart, again, in this point in time, he's the guy. Yeah. Right. The excellence of execution. Best there is, best there was, best there ever will be. Said it a million times already. He's over as fuck. He's been over as fuck. Shawn Michaels is this new, newer blood that's coming in you know, trying to stake his claim and capture the WWF championship and be the new guy top of the pile. Right. Bret Hart doesn't even consider that he might have to work Sean down before he can get him to tap out with the sharpshooter. He targets everything but his back until he gets to a point where he's like, this motherfucker has earned my respect. But because of that, I'm going to pound you into the ground now. And he starts targeting his back. And then he goes for the sharpshooter. And that always hit me as this thing of like, 
it's such this like really covert aspect to the story that they're telling of like, yeah, Bret Hart is the good guy, but he's so fucking arrogant. He doesn't think he even needs the sharpshooter. Yeah. What's well, that? I loved that. That's kind of the thing. It's again, we, we touched upon this with one of the other fights already, but it's like, it's not that you, you don't like the hero now and you want to see him lose, but it's that humanization factor. This is like almost points in Brett's favor of like, wow, you're, you're wrestling like an arrogant asshole. You know what I mean? Like he earned the right to this title fight and you're not taking it seriously. So I'm glad you lost in a way. If, if, I mean, I mean, not to pick on John Cena, especially when I don't know a whole lot about him, but it's like the thing of if you don't get your just desserts when you're not behaving the right way, then what value are you as a character? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. And you look at Shawn Michaels in this match and you see almost the exact opposite in a way while still almost the same thing in that, like you said, said before, Sean tries to beat Brett at his own game, the chain wrestling and holds. He's putting them in these like stretch holds and everything, because, you know, you hear so much about this, this legacy of the heart dungeon and yeah, getting stretched and stew heart. And, you know, Brett will put you in a hold and he'll make you pass out in seconds. Right. And it's just this thing of like, well, I got holds too. I'm yeah. going to show you I got holds too, right? Yeah. Shawn Michaels is not wrestling like his persona and his appearance suggests that he would. He comes in fr- on the ring or comes into the ring on a f- fucking like zip line. Yeah. You know, with this crazy mm-hmm. sequined white diamond chaps suit, like you said, yeah. like JoJo bullshit, right? You look at this guy and you're like, you're going to be doing the most, the flashy high flying shit. You're Shawn Michaels. You're from, you're part of the rockers, you know, one half of the high flying rockers that we all loved. Yeah. And then Shawn gets into the ring and he just starts literally going toe to toe with Bret Hart. And it's this immediate thing of, oh man, he's going to try to fucking, he's going to try to outstretch him, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And then you finally hit this point with Sean too, similar to Brett, where Sean realizes instead of Sean's gained my respect and now I'm going to have to humble you and pound you into the ground and beat your back down and put you in the sharpshooter. Sean almost has the same realization under a different context where it's like, I don't have to beat Brett at his own game. I can be Sean Michaels. I can beat Brett with my own tactics my own game plan i can start high flying i can start doing elbow drops i can start jumping out of the ring i can start throwing out sweet chin musics and so it's this really great like organic flow of two guys on the same path just diverging at different points it's just so so interesting to me yeah it's 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 weird too because there's an impression of like Sean Michaels has a moment where he like it's visually represented this realization you described where he basically kips up from the floor. He has this exactly. se- he has this second wind of like, oh, fuck this shit. You know what I mean? Now yeah. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. But before that, they're kind of like ships in the night kind of thing where like they're not really even 
wrestling. They're wrestling with themselves to prove a point. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. They don't start wrestling each other. They start wrestling the story. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I really like this match for those qualities. Um, for the technical qualities, right? Like, uh, the, the wrestling is great from a pacing perspective. Cause you, yeah. I mean, like you said, you're talking about an hour long match. That's got to be paced appropriately. You know, well, it's, that's like my, my thought process was at 20 minutes. I'm like, wow, there's like a real chance. There's, they're not going to do any points halfway mark. I was like, there's no way they're not going to do any points. And then, <laughs> and then one quarter before the end was, I don't believe that they're not going to do any points. They have to be fucking with me. It's going to be a last second thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. one what it's one of those things where it's it's not tricking you at all, but you just can't believe it while it's happening. Right. Yeah. It's it that right there is exactly what 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 keeps the 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 viewer engaged, right? And it's I've seen this match 35 times in my lifetime, I feel like, and I still was like sitting there on the edge of my seat because it's just this thing of, you know, you know how good these guys are. You know that anything can happen, right? Right. All you need is all it's going to, the second Sean throws out a sweet chin music, he's going to, he's going to get the first pinfall, right? Yeah. The second Brett puts him in the sharpshooter, he's going to get the first decision. He's going to get, he's going to get Sean to tap out. And then it's just, it's, it's go home time, you know? Right. And so you have these small little spots where that almost happens. Oh, Brett almost puts him in the sharpshooter. Oh, the sweet chin music, but Brett ducked and it hit the timekeeper, yeah. right? And then it's not until Brett knocks Sean down five times and his ponytail comes out and sexy boy hits and he kips up like Kai Kiesk. Yeah. That's when it's time to go home. Yeah. I love this match. It was a good one. So. so what I really wanted to show you with this collection of matches is that while the storytelling around the match can be great with the promos, while it can support that, there is still a story to be told within the match itself with in what happens in between the squared circle and the ropes that it has on its aprons and its turnbuckles. So did this get across to you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I I wouldn't say that I understand the intricacies of the sport much deeper, but no. I think that I understand what you're putting down. I think there were hints of it last time, too, right? I think that the best example of that uh, last time we talked about wrestling was, uh, I keep wanting to call him Shawn Michaels now, Bret Steve Hart Austin. versus Steve Austin. Uh, yeah. So th that was a good example of that, too, where like it's easy to understand that they don't like each other, but they that's a great example of leaving it all in the ring. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, today's stuff really reinforced that, you know, it is it, it's collaborative improv theater in a way you've been given the prompt and you need to make it work and make it entertaining. And these things really kind of hammered some of those ideas home. Yeah. So, it's hard to ask if anything shilled. I would. How about how about this? I'll tell you what my favorite is. Yeah, yeah, we'll do that. 
What do you think my favorite was? Your favorite match? Yeah. Oh, the Luchadors. It was it was the Luchadors. But yeah, absolutely. Let me tell you the reason why, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I liked that despite the fact that Eddie Guerrero was the clear villain in that fight, it wasn't a triumphant hero moment. I mean, it was. Don't get yeah. me wrong. But I liked that it wasn't Rey Mysterio gets in the ring and defangs Eddie Guerrero. <laughs> yeah. Right. I liked right. that it was this kind of grounded thing like the the jumping out of the ring hurricane rana aside right it was yeah. this kind of like david and goliath thing that was really entertaining to watch i liked it a lot yeah and i think the thing that is uh obviously you know there's there's a lot of different wrestling out there right and it's even with four matches of almost completely different styles yep. right in a way i would say the two matches that were probably the closest related were probably savage steamboat and brett sean right yeah. because it's wwf style you know what i mean they yep. have a they have a specific style but also it's that same kind of like in ring push pull oh yeah you know, ebb and flow of a fight well, right i i would say the one actually in my opinion the fight with the most pathos I think was Steamboat uh, Macho Man. For, oh, I'm glad to hear you dollar. say that, man. Because yeah. you could really feel, I could feel the energy of the crowd. I could feel Steamboat putting it on the line. I liked the little gimmick of Animal and Elizabeth being ringside, right? Yeah. Like it's cornball as that shit is, right? It, I think it and had a nice cap off. There was yeah. great comeuppance too. Yeah. Like it that that had the most pathos by far of yeah. any of the fights. And I, you know, what we were saying earlier that you you need just to compel. Yeah. And there is I think too many times, especially in a lot of the modern product, um, and in a lot of late 90s, 2000s, WCW with stuff like Judy Bagwell on a pole um, <laughs> where the, it's like an overindulgence, right? There's right. this like thought that, you know, well, it's not enough to just have the King Kong adjacent kind of thing going on with Miss Elizabeth and George Steele, right? It's not enough to just have just an out and out like, hey. You've been champion for a while and you're afraid I'm going to take it. So you tried to take me out in a dastardly way and I'm here to take your belt. Yeah. Sometimes simple is best. Right. And that's really the theme of Savage Steamboat and really Brett and Sean is that sometimes you just need two guys that think they're the best. Sometimes you can just tell the story of a David and Goliath, right? With, like you said, without the fanfare, right? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes, sometimes it's cool to just watch someone whoop someone's ass. Oh, absolutely. Like, the herd you were talking shit removes mask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? Nothing personal, kid. Yeah. So, yeah. So, this is really going to serve as, like, the biggest, like, chain chain link building block for what's going to be coming up in the, in the ultimate culmination of the arc, because we saw the moment mm -hmm. and we, we, with, with, uh, with 
Steve Austin and the Outsiders in the NWO, this concept of building towards this huzzah kind of situation and the things that it, it, it takes and what it takes to get us there. And we really this time focused on what's happening in the ring and the story that we can tell in the ring and, you know, without all of the extra fanfare and whatnot in a lot of ways. So what we're moving on to next is where I fell out of wrestling. Oh, okay. And what brought me back. You know, I'm good at talking shit, homie. So I'm good for this. Yes. So we are going to talk a little bit about the ruthless aggression era, as it is known, um, which is, yes, which is some of my favorite era of like era, whatever you want to call it. My, my favorite piece of wrestling history, because it was such an interesting time where you had WWF E buying WCW. Uh, Okay. Yep. And the subsequent events and then how that all shook out. Right. So I fell out of it for a while and then came back with something that's known in wrestling lore as the pipe bomb. Do you know what that is? No. When you said pipe bomb, something in my brain lit up, but I don't know what it was. So, no. See, when CM Punk picks up a mic, it's not just a mic. It's a pipe bomb. Okay. Waiting to go off. All right. I've CM heard of Punk's, that guy. CM Punk single-handedly brought me back into professional wrestling after a multi-year hiatus. CM Punk cut a promo on Monday Night Raw in 2011 that basically reached out from the television screen, grabbed me by the throat, and pulled me back into WWE. CM Punk would go on to be basically what guided me through uh, coming back into fandom, mm-hmm. what led me to discovering the wrestling that I now still watch and keep up with. And he was really my gateway back then into coming to understand that there was more out there, that there were alternatives to discover, that it was worth my time to go back and watch old independent promotions such as ring of honor that it was worthwhile for me to go through the extra effort to seek out what was happening in new Japan pro wrestling and in dragon gate and everything that that led me to is now translating today in the current product. So CM punk is a very important figure in my fandom with wrestling. And next week we're going to see exactly why. All right. Well, you've you've promised a lot here. I've I've heard you talk many times about one CM Punk over yeah. our years of friendship now. So uh, I'm excited. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what this is all about. I really think that it's going to be uh, an interesting uh, confluence of what we've already experienced because. uh after the pipe bomb and, and, and we're going to talk about it and we're going to watch it and everything. But after the pipe bomb, CM Punk tells the story that he walked backstage and uh, he was grabbed by somebody backstage and they just looked at him and said, I smell money. Yeah. 
<laughs> so yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go into that. Okay. Who do you All think right. that was? <laughs> uh, I mean, I want to say either Triple H or Vince McMahon. Well, we'll find out. That's yeah. for sure. So we are going to cover the pipe bomb. We are going to cover Money in the Bank 2011. We are going to cover CM Punk leaving the WWE in 2014 and the ripple effect it had on the industry and the fandom. And then we are going to talk about Yawn Bullet Club. Oh. I'm I'm interested to look forward uh interested to look forward jeez. I'm interested in learning about that too because Bullet Club is a name I hear all the time and it's in Tekken and stuff like that but I've know very little about it. So, we're going to talk about it and yeah. uh and it's going to be cool. But I'm really glad that you enjoyed these matches because yeah. these are these are some of my favorites. Um they're going to just get better from here on out. I promise you uh, amongst all the promises that I've made to you across this arc so far, this one is the heaviest. The wrestling is just going to go up from here. It's a steep incline up in diversity, style, um, what we're going to be seeing from a character perspective and a performance perspective. If I said that Savage and Steamboat and Brett and Sean laid the foundation, we are going to see the skyscraper. Okay. You're 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 talking a big game here. I'm I'm interested to see what happens at Money in the Bank 2011 too. So, yeah. It's going to be fun. Well, so as always, don't forget, you can check out the previous wrestling episodes and all of our previous episodes at themanyfolds.com. Come say hi to us at the many folds on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, as always, we are available on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your podcasts. But until next time, we are going to be stretching each other in my basement. Yes, uh, stretching each other until we tap out. But there is no tapping out in the uh, Chris dungeon. No, there's no tapping out and there's no safe word. <laughs> See ya. See ya. King of the shit.